It's time for the news from Back Home Magazine. Today's news is about building your own solar water heater and using the free heat energy of the sun. Getting hot water for showering, cleaning, and laundry is one of the most important heat energy requirements in any home. And the more hot water you use, the more expensive it gets, whether you have an electric hot water heater or a gas hot water heater. There is a time-honored, proven technique for getting free hot water for much of the year while saving money the rest of the year by preheating your regular water supply. These systems are called solar batch hot water systems. A solar batch hot water system is one where one or more tanks or batches of water are heated up directly by the sun with the water right inside the tanks. Instead of building solar panels to heat copper tubes that heat a transfer solution that is electrically pumped to another set of copper tubes that then heats your water, in a solar batch system, the sun simply heats your water in a tank, and then you turn on the tap and use it. The tanks in a batch system are typically 50-gallon new or used electric hot water heaters with glass-lined interiors. These are available from any home supply house new or used from plumbers or salvage yards. Finding used tanks in good condition is not that much of a problem because many tanks are discarded only because the electric heating elements burned out, not because there was anything wrong with the tank itself. How many tanks you'll want will depend on how much water you need, but a rule of thumb is one tank for one or two people, and at least two tanks for three or more people. However many tanks, you'll need to strip them down to metal by removing the outer skin of sheet metal and then the thin layer of insulation that generally comes wrapped around the inner tank. With a wire brush or sandpaper, clean the outside of the metal tank and paint it flat black for the most efficient absorption of the sun's energy. The next step is to build an insulated reflective box for your tank, and these are usually made from 2x4s, 2x6s, and reflective stiff insulation board, the type with the aluminum foil surface. The insulation helps hold in the high temperatures of the hot water, while the reflective surface inside the box helps direct more sunlight onto the metal tank. The entire box and tank is then mounted into a framework of 2x4s that will hold it at about a 45 degree angle, which is usually the best average for getting the most direct sunlight. The box is then fitted with a clear plastic or tempered glass cover, which allows the short wave high energy of the sun to pass through and heat the tank, but at the same time blocks most of the long wave heat energy from escaping. All that's left is to point your assembly towards the sun to within about 10 degrees either way of true south in a location that gets unobstructed sunlight all day. The simplest plumbing connection is to hook the cold water supply to the tank's inlet and connect the hot water outlet from your solar tank directly to the inlet of your regular hot water heater. This lets the normal water pressure drive the solar batch system without any extra pumps or electricity. 
More information about solar batch heaters is available from Back Home Magazine at 800-992-2546 or on the web at backhomemagazine.com. The news from Back Home is produced in cooperation with WNCW Spindale, North Carolina, with support from AirCheck Incorporated on the web at radon.com. Back Home is published bi-monthly in North Carolina, south of Hendersonville, on West Blue Ridge Road, just east of the old Flat Rock. For all the folks back home, I'm Ryan Doyle. Thanks for listening. the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about <laughs> the end of the world. The end of the world. I forgot what we're about. We're about caring, sharing, and preparing. For the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's change it, make it better. I forgot the rest of it. Yes, let's bring back the circle again. (laughs) See, you've been on the road for a while. Circle of friends, the circle of family, the circle circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are listening to your community spirit. Today is Friday. February 22nd, the 53rd day of 2008. There are 313 days left of the year. Yes, just a little bit more to go. And um, just wanted to let you know something you you missed. Huh. On Wednesday, there was a lunar eclipse. Yes. <laughs> it's like the moon was uh, passing through the shadow of the earth. And basically the moon kind of looked orange. Orange. Yeah. So it wasn't a complete lunar eclipse. It was just like shadowed, right? I mean, it was, ac- it was actually supposed to be a total lunar eclipse, but to me it looked like there was still a little bit of brightness. I guess the whole, the whole disk was like out of the full sun, so it was a total eclipse. But it was still getting a little bit of sun there. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you could actually see the moon. I thought like a, a, a complete lunar eclipse, it completely disappears. Yeah, well, a complete lunar eclipse, you can sort of just barely see it. Ah, see? It'll never be complete then. <laughs> yeah. So, I hope you're enjoying this wonderful, wonderful cold weather. Um, I will be playing at the end of this song, a uh, song about sunshine. <laughs> yep, I always try to play that in the winter. Yes. 
So, some happenings. Yes, we have happenings coming up. Uh, the Big Muddy IMC Films. They've got the film and discussion series is still going. Uh, the February films, there's only time for, uh, looks like one more February film. Although, actually, oh, seven days, that'll be the 29th. There will be one more Friday in February. They're going to sneak one in, huh? They're going to sneak in an extra. The flyer only goes up to the 22nd, but they're going to sneak in a bonus uh, February film for you, because that's how much they care. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, uh, on today, this Friday, uh, there is a, a film called An Unreasonable Man. This film chases the life and career of Ralph Nader. He's a very important and controversial political figure. Uh, so it should be interesting, the life and times of Ralph Nader. <laughs> And then this morning you missed uh, Breakfast with Pioneers. Yes, Breakfast with Pioneers. Every Friday morning at the Interface Center, there is um, a half hour of, well, Breakfast with Pioneers. If you don't know what a pioneer is, they are biological pioneers, people who are, well, biologically alive <laughs> and who are doing things that are forward-thinking and good. <laughs> Actual doers. So. Yes. Taking action to help the planet. In other happenings, who? Well, the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute. What? Ray Suarez Journalism Lecture. Where? The Student Center Audit. Uh, the Student Center Ballroom D. When? Next Tuesday, February twenty-sixth. Um, PBS correspondent Ray Suarez will be hosted by the Public Policy Institute. Tuesday, February 26th at 7 p.m. at the SIUC Student Center's Ballroom. Now, here it says Ballroom C, and there it says Ballroom D. I think they're going to use all the ballrooms. They might. Um, quote, the Institute's very pleased to host Ray, um, said Matt, assistant director of the Simon Institute, told uh, Nightlife. Quote, he is one of, the, of America's leading journalists. He's a recognizable figure as a reporter, especially to those who watch PBS or listen to NPR or watch the News Hour with Jim Lair, or for people that may have seen him on one of his other places where he's worked, such as Chicago, where he was on television, or they might have read one of the books that he's written. So he's, well, he's very recognizable on many fronts. Not only a correspondent for Jim Lair, Suarez frequently guest anchors the News Hour. He is also the author of two books, The Old Neighborhood, What We Lost in the Great Suburban Migration, 1966 to 1999, and The Holy Vote, The Politics of Faith in America. Again, next Tuesday, 7 p.m. at the Student Center Ballrooms. Yes, I actually remember him from Democracy Now! Uh, back a while ago. Uh, it's good to be seeing that he's here in the area speaking. So did we have any other happenings today? People, did, I know there's stuff happening, but since we are the happening guys and you, yes you, you did not send it in to us, your event is not going to happen now. <laughs> no, I, it might happen. It might happen. not happen because of the ice, but... Yeah, well, this <laughs> is like... Um, if you want your happenings to be listed on Your Community Spirit, please email them to info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yes, or you can email them to me at treesong at treesong.org. And, and we will make sure that people show up because we are bad mofos. <laughs> yeah, we, we're really good at getting people to show up to yeah, stuff. We, we make it happen. <laughs> That's why we call it the happening section of Your Community Spirit. 
All right, something that I have some bad news. Oh, what's that? Um, Rosetta is closing. Oh yes, I heard about this. Rosetta Stone Bookstore, after 13 years of serving the community, will be closing its doors on February 29th. Here's a note from the owners. There are many reasons for the closure, but it comes down to the fact that sales are just too low. There have been many, many days where they've had one, two, or no sales. So essentially, just barely scraping by. Even with the partnership with Tropicana Vintage Clothing, they are not making enough to pay our basic bills and are having many, many debts to pay off. After this month, they are closing. They'll have um, a lot of their magazines on display until the 29th, so please stop by and pick up a copy so you can fill out a subscription form. A lot of them would appreciate it, especially the smaller zines who are also struggling with these tough economic times. They hope you will continue to support Carbondale's independent businesses, including the Bookworm and the Book World. I'm sure they would appreciate your business. If you're an artist, author, musician, and have items on consignment there, please come pick them up. If you can't make it by February 29th, please let them know, ideally before the 29th. Please stop by and show your support in these last few days. While they can't afford to have a great big sale, everything is is 10% off, they would really appreciate your support. Thanks for everything you've done. Again, Rosetta Stone Bookstore will be closing its doors on February 29th. More are listening to your community spirit now the news yes now the news maybe they can use cigars as fuel fidel castro's resignation may boost biofuels in cuba fidel castro's step down after 48 years as cuba's leader may have implications for biofuels in the country castro was outspokenly critical of u.s biofuels policy and blocked a proposed expansion by ag giant Archer Daniels Midland into Cuba in the 1990s. But Fidel's brother Raul, who will assume leadership of Cuba, is a biofuel supporter. Industry analysts have projected that Cuba has the potential to produce up to 3.2 billion gallons of sugarcane ethanol per year. And the country recently began overhauling its 17 ethanol refineries. Some see Brazil, with less internal demand for biofuels, and thus more export capacity in the making. Straight to the source, Biofuels Digest, and the Wall Street Journal. More. Castro should deliver my speech. 
From Los Angeles, Sicko director Michael Moore jokes that Fidel Castro would be a, a ratings grabber at Sunday night's Academy Awards show. Moore's Oscar-nominated documentary on the healthcare industry concludes with a trip to Cuba, where he seeks care for a group of 9-11 responders who have experienced health problems. They are greeted with open arms at a Havana hospital and given what appears to be top-notch care that they could not get in the United States. Castro, who is 81 and in poor health, announced his retirement as president of Cuba this week, ending a half-century of autocratic rule. Quote, I've got some great news today because I was trying to figure out how I was going to get Castro into the Oscars. And for me, he resigns today so he can come to L.A. and go as my guest and perhaps give the acceptance speech, Moore told AP Television on Tuesday night. As long as he keeps it under five hours, I'm telling you, that's got to be a ratings grabber. Can you imagine him, you know, showing up? If I could talk to Oscar producer um, Gil Coates and maybe get Castro in a dance number at the beginning of the show... Yep. Ratings grabber, ratings grabber. That's Michael Moore. <laughs> yes, I imagine that would grab a lot of ratings. <laughs> so let's see. In other news, uh, I want to mention this one because I've seen it elsewhere too. Our town. Cities worldwide will turn off lights for Earth Hour. Mark- the Earth only gets an hour? Oh, yes. I guess the Earth only gets an hour. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a start. <laughs> An hour for the Earth. Can you do it? Can you do it? Yes. Will you do it? I <laughs> surely, hope so. Surely you can do an hour. Mark your calendar for March 29th. I'm doing it right now. When cities around the world will switch off uh, non-critical lights at 8 p.m. for an awareness-raising Earth Hour. At present, 24 cities, with a total population of some 30 million people, plan to participate in the energy-saving symbolism. From Toronto to Tel Aviv, Bangkok to Brisbane... <clears throat> Excuse me, Canberra to Copenhagen, and first Earth Hour participant Sydney to uh, copycat event holder San Francisco. So thousands of events, thousands of individuals and businesses have also signed on to come to the dark side wow. <laughs> for an hour anyway. <laughs> Straight to the source: Reuters, the Sydney Morning Herald, the Canadian Press, and Earth Hour 2008. Yeah, I actually, I'd like to try to find out if uh, Brad Cole has heard about this. Because the first article I read about this was a big to-do about how uh, Mayor Daley up in Chicago was bringing Illinois into this program by signing on to the, you know, the plans to have Earth Hour come to Chicago. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we need, we need to represent in southern Illinois so that we care about the Earth, too. You want to see if Brad Cole's in the dark? <laughs> Yes, let's see if Brad Cole is in the dark side. If he's into the dark side, okay. Um, I don't know if you remember last week we talked about um, harvesting energy from a knee brace. This is electric frock. Researchers develop energy-generating clothing. We like the idea of harvesting energy from our own movement, but wearing a knee brace just sounds too, well, clunky. So now, U.S. researchers publishing in Nature have developed a way to generate electricity from nanofibers woven into fabric. If the technology goes mainstream, we'll be able to generate energy by just getting dressed, which, of course, we do every day. Well, except for Nude Fridays. (laughs) Hee hee. That's the day, right? Yes. (laughs) Source, Associated Press, the BBC News, and Nature Magazine. (laughs) Yes, that sounds interesting. I like that story both because of the te- technology it describes and because of Nude Fridays. 
Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> so in other news, reading, writing, and roasting. I guess those are the, the three R's for the 21st century. California bill would require climate change to be taught in schools. Science te- textbooks approved for California public schools would have to cover climate change, and science teachers would be required to put warming in their curricula under a bill approved by the state senate and heading to the assembly. Says state senator uh, Joe Simitan, uh, who introduced the bill, quote, This is a phenomenon of global importance, and our kids ought to understand the science behind the phenomenon. Critics of the bill made all of the expected arguments. Uh, uh, Climate science is uncertain. Children shouldn't be indoctrinated with environmental propaganda. The skeptical perspective wouldn't get fair time. And so on. Straight to the source, the Mercury News. You know, I, I think it's fine if they raise those concerns, but you could include it in the curriculum to address that there are many viewpoints on the issue. It's certainly an issue that should be explored, though, in my opinion. Opinions are really good. Let's see. Should I should I talk about the hairy solar panels? I think so. Yeah, I'm kind of hairy myself. So, hairy hairy solar panels from NanoWire. Solar panels are consistently approving and breaking records. We often hear about new exotic materials and strange shapes, but this could be the weirdest announcement yet. Researchers at McMaster University. They won the award for the coolest name ever. McMaster University have succeeded in growing light-absorbing nanowires made of high-performance photovoltaic materials or carbon nanotube fiber. The nanowires are made from exotic materials like gallium arsenide, adenium gallium phosphate, etc., and they can absorb more energy from the sun than silicon, allowing the creation of both efficient and flexible solar modules. And it's theoretically possible to achieve... 40% 40% efficiency. Current thin film technologies is between 6 and 9%. So, another technology that I hope to actually be able to install. They talk about there's a lot of really good stuff out there, but, you know, I never get to install it because, well, it never makes it to market. Like, they were talking about the 1% um, fiber that you can sew into clothes that you just, like, plug in uh, something into. They said if they made it up to 3% efficient they would actually make it a viable product. So So it could be on its way. (laughs) And I just like, I like the, I mean, the picture literally looks like a hair of someone's head. (laughs) I mean. Yeah. Hairy solar panels. (laughs) Hopefully, I I like that idea just just because it's a fun idea. You know, if we're going to achieve this uh, this renewable energy revolution, then let's make it as fun as possible. (laughs) Oh, solar is fun. I mean, you just... The idea that you can put something out in the air, well, out in the air, out in the light, and it makes electricity, it's just, you haven't seen kids playing around with a radio that's solar powered. They'll put their hand in front of it, and it fades out, and then they'll go, I can turn it on with the power of my hand, and they move their hand away. Yeah. (laughs) It's like magic. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) So, here we go in uh, in less optimistic news. Uh, Take it back. No, you take it back. No, you take it back. No, no, you take it back. (laughs) New York City Mayor says he'll veto an electronics recycling bill. The New York City Council overwhelmingly passed a bill uh, last Wednesday 
that would require electronics manufacturers to take back products for recycling at the end of their useful li- lives. But on Friday, uh, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg said that he'll veto it, and that if his veto is overridden, he'll elect not to enforce the law. The council estimates the more than 26,000 tons of TVs, computers, cameras, and other electronic products are thrown out by uh, New York City residents each year. Bloomberg, generally a greenish kind of guy, admitted that e-waste is a concern, but like in requiring manufacturers to take back electronics, to publishers being responsible for recycling newspapers. Councilmember and bill sponsor John de Blasio uh, was bemused. Quote, If there is a legal concern, we've said consistently, uh, we are willing to try and keep working together. But I'm perplexed because it seems to me they don't disagree with the goals. Straight to the source, Associated Press, and the New York Times. Well, maybe... Maybe the mayor would like to keep all of those products in his office instead of uh, sending them to the landfill. Um, you, you, you like, you'll probably like this. Can't see the forest for the sneeze. Kleenex boxes infiltrated by anti-logging leaflets. Planning to buy some tissues for your February sniffles? Be forewarned. Menacing notes have been found in Kleenex boxes across the U.S. and Canada. Wiping away ancient forests, says a leaflet found by a reporter in a Kleenex box purchased at a New York drugstore. There's a little secret that Kimberly Clark, the largest tissue maker in the world and parent company of Kleenex, does not want you to know. Kimberly Clark has long been under fire from Greenpeace for logging Canadian boreal forests and in, in, and not doing recycled anything. While the leaflet's purport to come from Greenpeace. A spokesperson for the co- group says the stunt is not an official Greenpeace gag. So the perpe- perpetrator remains a mystery, as does the when, where, and how the Kleenox Bach infiltration happens. Says a Kimberly Clark spokesperson, quote, for the life of me, I guess I'm struggling to figure out how anything will get inside a Kleenex box. Straight to the source, the Washington Post, be forewarned. <laughs> so, I think this has been another exciting and informative half hour of your community spirit. It flies by. Yes, time flies when you're having fun. And I t- intend to have a lot of fun. I hope everybody is slip sliding around and throwing snow and doing everything that makes snow fun. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're going to be cold hearted. <laughs> be warm, be happy, be safe. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> well, yeah, be warm, be happy, be safe. Have fun out there in the safest ways possible. And here's some sun music.